0: Hey everyone. This is part 1 of an interview with Generation 180's founder, Sandy Reiske. It originally aired on Josh Spodex' Leadership and the Environment podcast. In this episode, you'll hear Sandy explain his background and how he got into the clean energy field. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Leadership and the Environment podcast. This is Josh. I'm here with Sandy Reiske. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here and All right. Now I want to introduce the listeners to some of the stuff. I'm looking at your bio and I see founder, chairman, CEO, uh, owns and operates utility scale facilities. And uh, let's see, you've done solar, you've done wind, you've done some tremendous big things on a scale that is huge. But right now, the way I met you is through a nonprofit. And so I want to talk a bit about what you've done in the past and some of the things that drove you to, to be so successful at, I guess I would say, like moving us over away from fossil fuels. But maybe you could describe, do you mind describing like how you got to do what you're doing and some of the things that you've done?
0: Sure, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, I'm a guy that that you know grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. I went to the University of Virginia's uh, Commerce School undergrad. And for a number of years, I, I worked in Europe with different companies. But what was a, a sort of changing point for me sort of drove my perspective on, on what I want to do in life, or at least gave me some ideas directionally, was that I, I spent a couple of years in, in the uh, Czech Republic and uh, Eastern Europe, and the pollution there was just staggering. It was really uh, unbelievable. And I sort of said to myself at the time, if if I can find a way to to move my career into a place where I'm working on clean air, that's something I'm going to try and do, and then you know spool forward to 1999 2000. Uh, like a lot of people, uh, it happens to all of us. I had sort of a a life changing event, uh, death in the family, and I s- stepped back from my what I was doing at the time. Uh, I was a CFO of a software company, small software company and uh, just said, you know, I'm going to think about what to do next. And uh, my sister, uh, Didi, gave me a book called Love What You Do, Do What You Love. And uh, I read it, and I I found it uh, to be really transformational in how I was thinking about career. And, you know, my takeaway from that book, which is basically the title, is that really applying yourself to something that you feel strongly about is one of the most rewarding things uh, you can do. So I started looking into working for nonprofits in the clean energy sector and also uh, you know what's going on with solar. And I, I came to understand that solar was still very expensive, but that wind energy had reached a point even back then in 2000 where it had really crossed the line. It was competitive, competitive with fossil fuels you know, a viable solution. And it was an industry that was just getting started. And I thought to myself, this is an area I can I can explore. This is an area, this is what I want to work on. So I started going to wind energy conferences and people were very so no
1: n- background, no history in this. You, nothing y- you did software before this and you just read a book, Do What You Love, Love What You Do. Yeah. And and you said, This is what I love. This is what I love someone to start doing it. Yeah. I started to interrupt, but like, I look at, at founder and all these, you founded multiple, multiple things. And, this, and I, I'm looking at the dates. It's all after 2000. Mm-hmm. So you really just came out of nowhere. And I, partly I'm saying this because everyone listening to this, you didn't have any advantages over anyone else. Like you weren't like born into a family that had been like a long history of this or something like that.
0: No. And I had no money uh, to speak of. I mean, there were some savings, but it wasn't like I, was born into a fortune of any type. I had you know, basically what I had saved over that time. I didn't have a background in the industry. I didn't come with a lot of money to the table. I just was a guy who was determined to see if I could find a way into the industry. And the the way I did it was I just went to wind energy conferences um, all around the country. The, The Department of Energy had these Wind Powering America conferences, and they would get state legislators, governors, if possible, you know, landowners, uh, entrepreneurs, wind energy companies, suppliers, all into a, you know, and have a little conference in state by state. And I was like a groupie and I'd go to each one and I got to know people and I would asked everybody, you know, is this a good time to get in the industry? And, you know, sort of looking for a job and people were nice and everything, but they're sort of like, look, if, if you don't know something about the technology or whatever, it's it might be hard to get in to the industry. But there's an interesting thing about energy, which is, and this goes all the way back to how they did it with coal and and, and oil and gas. And that is, there is a resource out here in our country, a very abundant resource. And to get it to market, to commercialize it, you you need to secure it first, and that's your asset. And then you need to raise capital to spend, to invest in that asset, uh, maybe one or $2 million per site, and you're you're qualifying and de-risking the asset. You're saying, okay, this does have transmission line capability. This does have the permits. It's been permitted by the local uh, uh, community. Community. Once this wind farm, you've gone through all the traps and and you found a power buyer, uh, a utility that is ready to to buy the power, and you've measured the wind for years and and done all your bird studies and this type of thing. So there's a whole process to, and a relatively large spend to get one of these projects ready. And so I decided that's how I was going to get into the wind business. I was going to try and uh, develop a project. And I could tell you the story of the first project, but I'm, I, I want to be conscious of you know, how far you want me to go into the, that aspect of getting started.
1: Well, I'm kind of curious. from I'm thinking from the listener's perspective, I think a lot of people are going to be listening to this thinking, what can I do and how much of what you, so I'm curious, how much of what you're doing was to make money and how much of what you're doing was to make the world a better place? And how much of it was like, what was motivating you?
0: You know, maybe that was a hundred percent because it's what I wanted to do and believed in. And the, you know, motivation to make money was more like uh, the requirement. You, hundred percent, that has to be right. <laughs> you know, the business that you're getting into has to be viable and you have to prove that. So, you know, that's part of being able to Do what you want to do is also doing something that works for society. At the time, wind power was subsidized; it still is with a tax credit, but that's expiring. You know, we're we're the only industry, energy industry, that has agreed with Congress that the the tax credits are going to expire. Uh, They were 100% in 2016. They're 80% in 2017, and 60% this year of the value. Uh, And next year is 40, and after that, it's zero. So. When people talk about, you know, subsidies for for energy, uh, wind and solar have a path to get off of those, and it certainly would be good to see that for fossil fuels.
1: I'm guessing that the fossil fuel industry is not going to start paying for the wars that we've paid to keep the oil pipelines going. Like th- that, that subsidy is not going to get paid for, is it? Right, right. But anyway,
0: to your point, and and just to, you know, continue the narrative. I launched this company, Greenlight Energy, and six years later, uh, we had built $750 million worth of uh, wind facilities, and and uh, had, had a large portfolio of assets, of resource assets that we had spent money on that were ready to bring to market. And BP, uh, Alternative Energy, the oil company, bought Greenlight and another group that was similar to us and formed their own thing that they went and did terrifically with. They, they built an awful lot of wind power a lot faster than we could because they had much more resources. but. The point is that I had capital at that point. You know, I was able at that point to to really double down and go back into the industry and do a lot of things that have defined, you know, since 2006 through today.
1: So the young hopeful guy who was the groupie in the back asking questions <laughs> yeah. was now you are now yeah. having acted on what you learned. Could you were probably speaking at these things.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. And one other point or two points just for people who wonder how does it really come together with your first company when you don't have that much money? The answer is it's a team effort. You know, the secret sauce is as soon as you can afford to bring professionals into your organization, do it. We had a great team at Greenlight. You know, it was a combination of me and that team that that was able to build these facilities and even the big numbers I was throwing around, you know, that wasn't our money. All we did was show viable projects to the financial community that had power purchase agreements, and then you bring that financing together—debt and equity—and uh, so we were selling projects that had that value. We didn't have that type of money ourselves.
1: This is fascinating because I mean, this whole thing is about leadership and how to make things happen. And you've made stuff happen. You started from from very little. I thank you for coming on and sharing this. I, I, if I'd known, I would have done more to get you on earlier. <laughs>
0: Well, don't make me blush. Uh, it's been an amazing journey.
1: Well, I mean, the big thing is I want people listening. That one of the big things is I want people to hear examples of people who acted on their values, acted on what they cared about, and were able to make it work. I, I'm sure that there's, if I asked, I'm sure if I dug, I could find stories of like, it was all going to fall apart or the oh, team was at each other's throats for a while. It's not easy. It's not like some Disney story here, right?
0: No. And, and the hardships uh, were mostly around raising capital. In the beginning, I had a a misplaced idea that people saw the world the way I did, and we need to invest in this stuff and we'll figure it out. It's going to, you know, and so I was out raising capital and trying to tell the story, you know, Hey, we've got this asset and it's the right thing to do. And investors are, you know, they're like, that's great, but show us the financials again. You know, they really want to see how uh-huh. the money going to be spent and, and how it's going to be uh, turned into a successful project. And I get that, you know, I'm, I was in business as well, but Nevertheless, it takes both types of, types of green, <laughs> and then to raising capital. One piece of advice I've, I've said to people is: if you're raising capital, uh, if you ask for money, you'll get advice. If you ask, yeah. if you ask for, ask advice, for advice, you yeah. might get money. <laughs> you know, you. Uh, so there's there's a a truism to that where uh, you know, and and we had. A hard time raising money, and it was lean. You know, every single year we were running out of money, and would have to add add investors. But uh, one way or another, it, it came together.
1: All right. So, in a future conversation, we'll go into more detail. Or if if, if listeners contact me and say, get Sandy to say more about how he got that thing going, we'll follow up more on that. So, you grew and grew, and you did wind, you did waves, you did solar, and was it all like organic growth? Is it easy to switch from one to another? No, uh
0: this is back to the team's concept. When we sold Greenlight, we had capital. And and so we went, you know, I was not allowed to work in the wind business again for a couple of years because of a non-compete. And I knew I wanted to put the capital into the renewable sector. And I, you know, I could see that solar was getting traction nationally, just beginning to get traction as a utility scale solution. So I kind of understood utility scale energy or utility scale clean energy. I didn't know how to spell solar. So I I started going to some solar conferences and, and just meeting with folks, uh, entrepreneurs, and and found a great team that was just launching their company. They were trying to do utility-scale solar. They had a great background in solar. Uh, Tim Derrick and Kevin Christie uh, uh, formed uh, Axio Power, and they really led the effort. Uh, we acquired a couple other companies that had small portfolios. Not big numbers here. These are just groups of people working on stuff, and we all got together and pooled <laughs> those projects uh, and then funded their development. And we, we got uh, a lot of contracts uh, in Canada and one in, in Massachusetts. We got projects in Hawaii, and, and then it was acquired by Sun Edison in 2011, which was the right thing to do. You may notice there's a theme here, which is you can do a lot as, uh, I mean, an awful lot uh, as an entrepreneur in the clean energy space, aggregating resources. But you get to a point where if you don't find very big capital to advance your portfolio, it can be difficult to actually. I mean, this is a capital-intensive business. So Sun Edison saw the value in what we were doing. Uh, it was another terrific exit for our investors, and so we launched Apex with that capital. And we also, though, in the meantime, I'll just mention because it's it's really a fascinating story. This group, Columbia Power Technologies, is totally a different thing, right? It was totally out of my lane. It's clean energy, but it's just the, you know, a bunch of engineers working on a solution to develop a wave power device, device that can extract power from ocean waves. Uh, the device would be a couple miles off the shore. You'd have a network of a hundred of them, just like a wind farm. And, uh, they would have a trunk line comes, takes the power to shore and that company's doing great. You know, we're the leader globally in direct drive, wave power devices. It's not yet commercial. So it's a $0 billion industry, but it has huge potential. And the important point here is I asked myself the question, sure, I can do more solar and then eventually do more wind, which I did with Apex, but what can I do that nobody else is doing because it's so risky?
1: Sorry to interrupt, but that sounds to me like a very, now you're very confident. You went from like an outsider to an insider. And now, now you're like, I got a strong platform. It's time to go for the brass ring. Something like that. Am I right?
0: Uh, I think overconfidence has been one of my problems for years. <laughs> uh, it gets you in a lot of trouble, but it's it's how opportunity happens,
1: I suppose. Okay, so I'm, I'm reading confidence, but it's actually you're creating an opportunity. You're like, okay, maybe as a businessman, you're thinking. No, no, it's it's impact.
0: So you know, when I got into the whole thing altogether, it was like, how can I move the needle? How can I change the world? what's important in life, you know, what what do i want to try to do? And once i had sort of gotten real traction with wind and solar, i said how can i use another clump of capital here to do something nobody else is doing that has the possibility to be to launch a whole new industry. And not that we would launch it, but we would work on getting our technology right and if we if we were right, it, you know, there'd be competitors and eventually, but there's there have been hundreds of attempts to create a you know a wave powered device. None of them have gotten to commercial scale. That uh, where they're really in serial production and their wave farms are going up around the world. That's just not happened yet. And I I was basically thinking if I could help that happen, that would be great. And it's not like I am this really altruistic person. There is the business aspect of it as well, which was you know I, I saw that the University of Oregon had this. I've read an article that they had this uh, device they're working on. And, and together with some other folks, we, we we spoke with them and talked about how can we help you commercialize this. We licensed the technology and we've been working with them ever since. And uh, it's been about 10 years now. So it's very exciting. The device, by the way, is about as big as uh, it's about two stories tall. That's just the generator part of it. So it's like wind turbines. You know, it's a, you do it at scale so that the power you're producing can really serve you know a big need.
1: So I'm really, I have to say, I'm really amazed and humbled at at the success that you've had. And uh, thanks for sharing it. And it also forces me to like, my game is to like influence other people and, and you've been doing that. And you've, I like also that you said that you began with your passion, but then to lead others is working with their interests and put, you know, you were talking about the investors, you have to understand what they want and you have to understand what they're after. And that's how you influence people. Not just, you can't just, you can come in with your passion but that your passion isn't their passion. Right.
0: That's right. You have to be able to connect all the dots and and bring people along and essentially convince the team it's going to work and we're going to ha- we're going to find the money and this is going to work. Let's let's make it happen. Thanks for listening to part 1 of the conversation. Be sure to listen to part 2 and learn all about generation 180.